and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com. And in our New York studio, we have our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hello. So this week, uh, there's pretty much just one story in Hollywood and not the story that I think any of us thought we'd be talking about when we recorded last week's episode. I think maybe the day after we recorded last week, the rumor broke that the New York Times was preparing to publish a bombshell story about Harvey Weinstein and uh, a decades-long pattern of alleged sexual assault. Uh, that story was published on Thursday. It was uh, then followed up uh, yesterday, which Tuesday, as we record this, with another story from the New York Times with uh, more women coming forward with their stories, as well as a story in the New Yorker from Ronan Farrow with, I think, 13 women sharing their stories of sexual assault or abuse or attempted uh, sexual assault or just general inappropriate behavior. The follow-up's been really swift. Uh, Harvey Weinstein's been fired from the company that bears his name. Uh, Just as we started recording this, he was removed from BAFTA, basically the British Academy. Uh, There are rumors that the same thing will happen with the American Academy. You know, I don't think we need to go into a ton of detail about what's happening. I think everyone who's listening to this has been following this story. I kind of want to just generally start like this keeps happening in recent years where someone prominent, uh, one story will come out about them having inappropriate behavior, and then this flood starts, and more and more people start coming forward. But I'm kind of astonished by how much has come out and how fast this has happened, and just the whole breadth of it has really taken my breath away. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a testament to the fact that, you know, once one or two uh, pretty courageous people kind of come forward and, and speak about their own experience that it emboldens other people to do the same, you know, and because right now there is no real, I mean, I shouldn't say that. It's not that there are, there are no repercussions or anything. It's just that like the, the, the looming threat that kept people quiet for a long time has been diluted considerably. And um, I'm learning a lot in reading these people's testimonies. And, and I had always heard about, Weinstein being a, a bully and belligerent and and really hard charging, you know, much in the same way that he was kind of parodied on Entourage in a character or kind of recurring character on that show. But this dynamic of it was sort of unknown to me, I guess, anecdotally. And and so, you know, I'm just kind of trying to sit back and, and read and, and, you know, just listen to people talking about it. it it's pretty staggering. Yeah. I, and not to make it about me, but I feel like I have a responsibility to to like reflect on this because... Like you, I knew for sure that he was a big bully and everybody kind of joked about it. I I think now I understand why the people who worked for him seemed so like not really jokey about it, you know, that 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 there was something darker there. Well, I mean, you hear about people getting screamed at or kind of capriciously fired. And, you know, even if, you know, people like their jobs there and there's a lot of stories of people who, you know, felt like they were doing good work, even with this difficult boss, like that's a that's a stressful work environment to work in, even without all of the, the sexual assault stuff. Yeah, he he sort of adopted in a way the public reputation of, of Scott Rudin, who is famous for like firing people and they go across the street. There's a certain coffee shop and the assistant knows to call them and bring them back when they're not fired anymore, like two hours later. But but that's obviously it was very different from that. It's not it's not a belligerent. Uh, I mean, it was, he, he can be absolutely belligerent as well. But this whole aspect was unknown to me. And it's bothering me because I feel like I should have known. And I wonder if even I had, you know, I must have read some of this Rose McGowan stuff and, and, and put two and two together. Like I must have it's, you know, it, it's bothering me. It's really bothering me. You know, the the thing I recall is a couple of friends. I was having lunch with some people at Weinstein Company and saying to them, uh, oh, I saw Harvey and the whole family the other day. And they said, oh, nice to know he's met the kids, um, which was telling. But again, I took that to be, oh, he's a philandering guy with a sham marriage, like, you know, join the club in Hollywood. But 
you know, I, I think, and so that's why I do believe somebody like George Clooney when he says, hey, I knew Harvey like hit on girls, but I didn't know. I, I don't know. I think that it's, on the one hand, we have a ton of soul searching to do, all of us who are in this business, because look, I as I think I published Harvey's blog posts at, at HuffPost. Like, you know, he was constantly flattering, you know, my boss there and, and, you know, he bought ads for us on, on the Hollywood daily. And I, you know, I mean, like we've done business with this guy and we plan to do more business with this guy. He's a big player in award season. And so it's disturbing. The whole thing is disturbing to me. And I feel like the only thing to do at this point is be honest. Like I must've missed something. It's probably a male privilege to actually have the signs be flaring up and sort of either tune them out or just forget. It just feels like there was, you know, this whole reputation of Hollywood as being the casting couch and being a place where if you're a young woman, like there's going to be some producers going to try to sleep with you and the, you know, the kind of nasty rumors about actresses sleeping their way to the top. Like it's so ever present that it was almost kind of harder to see. Like that was such the reputation of the industry. Everyone kind of just accepted that as like being something in the drinking water and not thinking about a specific person being like so at the root of all of this. And I mean, I think... There's the there's the easy way out of this. That I think a lot of people are taking where we're saying, okay, well, we've gotten rid of Harvey Weinstein. He was doing all this terrible stuff. Now we're a, a righteous industry again, which I think everybody knows is not true. There are plenty more people like this, although maybe not as famous or as powerful. Yeah, and maybe not as as egregious, but maybe as egregious. Like we don't know. You know, eight eight people paid off that we know of is a lot of people paid off. You know, and by the time the police are collaring you saying, "Hey, we have a recording of you," like you that 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 whole thing about oh, I was born in the sixties and seventies. That's just how we act is like very well gone by that point. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the 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 thing in the New Yorker story where it had the audio of the woman who he was trying to get in his hotel room, and I mean that was a story. It was in page six. Like that was two years ago, and I remember it vaguely but again it just kind of felt like background noise in this way that looking back it's like astonishing that we thought that way yeah yeah and i think that you know reading testimonies from people like rose mcgowan or Gwyneth paltrow and 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 realizing that like how long this has been happening you know you just you start to think about numbers in that sense like how many people and i think it's also a, a reminder to me like because of the way that these things work I believe that the this happened now because he had been sort of he'd lost some of his power and yeah. and, and mm-hmm. the Weinstein company was on the ropes and in financial distress and delaying movies and this and that. But in the 90s this guy was an absolute I mean like it, it, he could make he did make people movie stars. He did make famous directors famous, you know, and 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 the and he did it with not the kind of it it wasn't through you know a sort of cynical well supposedly cynical studio system this was independent it was cool cinema it was good cinema it was stuff that was winning oscars it was respectability and i think that to exploit that on top of everything else i mean it adds this extra sort of almost injustice to it because the, the, you know someone a, a friend of mine tweeted out yesterday thinking about one of the many many sad aspects of this story is to think about how many artists work we could have seen but they he scared them out of the industry or or, or pushed them out you know so I, this feels pretty far reaching and, and yes cer- certainly pretty strong indictment of, of a culture at large um yeah you know well and, and using this prestige kind of artistic thing that so many people aspire to and admire and that actually makes them feel good and enriches their soul as a fig leaf for his you know sort of demonic behavior and using liberal politics as a fig leaf. I actually was looking through emails and I found an email that had been forwarded to me where Harvey was trying to negotiate to get one of Trump's accusers to go talk to the Hillary campaign. In case you're wondering about people saying, oh, there were no ties, like, give me a break. 
yeah. Barack Obama's daughter interned for this guy. Yeah. So I hope and pray that Barack Obama, you know, presumably was just kind of naive, maybe as naive as the rest of us. I'm not casting, throwing stones at this point because we're all sort of complicit in this nightmare. Yeah. But it's interesting because on the one hand, it's it shows how complicated human nature is that he could have these kind of you know, in, in to to at least people like us, admirable things that he did with his life and this horrifying dark side. But it's also it, it, the disturbing thought is that he was using the admirable stuff to to cover As the a cover. dark side. Or that he had been so powerful for so long that he kind of didn't think of what he was doing as out of line. I mean, I think we see much more minor examples of this all the time where somebody's famous or somebody's powerful and they just act in ways that like no human being would ever act. Like even as small as like saying, do you know who I am at a restaurant? And that's that enabling. I do that, that a lot. In Hollywood. Yeah, you know, I know, I know you do. That's how you get us great reservations. <laughs> There's, you don't need to do that at Chipotle, Mike. It's weird. It's weird. It's frankly weird. But that's the, you know, that's the way that this industry has worked where it enables people and it kind of coddles you. And, you, you know, you hear about all of these actors who say that they didn't know. And I, I mean, like you were saying about George Clooney, I do kind of believe it. Like if you're a powerful person who is in this man's orbit, like you have other powerful people around you who are going to protect you from someone like that. It's a lot of like willingness to look the other way or just not knowing anything because you have an agent who's going to, you know, keep you away from all rumors. It's a, it's such a weird non-reality that Hollywood is. Yeah. And I think also Glenn Close issued a statement essentially saying, I feel terrible because I'd heard these things as kind of rumors on the wind for years. And I just never quite fully believed it because what, I guess it wasn't right in front of her or whatever. And, you know, I, I think that that's the way it functions, seems to have functioned for a lot of people who weren't directly involved in that, you know, Hollywood, like any industry with, you know, sort of ambitious people or creative people, there are big personalities. And, you know, there are the Scott Rudins who have, you know, a special coffee shop for the people they fire and then rehire back an hour later. There, there are, you know, grand divas, you know, throwing fits in their trailers or whatever. Like, like it is. And I think that in, in, in a really kind of sickening way, much darker and predatory behavior can kind of hide in that sort of just right. cloud of personality. Yeah, ja- you know? talent justifies a lot and and in this case it obviously, you know, covered for uh, like way too much. Because because Harvey on the one hand, you raise a really good point which is who who didn't get roles because they, you know, wouldn't play along with his like creepy stuff or or worse uh, criminal potentially stuff. But on the other hand, if you look at the Miramax movies it's an incredible there are a lot of great movies and and harvey was known for his aesthetic interventions which drove a lot of filmmakers crazy but but you know arguably possibly made those films better too made them you know made them more at least audience friendly and oscar friendly whether the uh, director really thinks that they were yeah. better or not the, w- one of the things and you know talking about you know oscars for you know for our our kind of subject matter the one that made I don't, the, the mira sorvino story and here is someone who I, like many a caddy gay man, have been like, oh, like, she's one of those, like, won a Best Sporting Actress Oscar and then kind of disappeared. And, like, you know, she became something of a joke or a punchline. And it's like, well, shit, actually, maybe what happened was that she got blackballed from an industry yes. because she yeah. didn't she didn't play along with this, you know, asshole's kind of agenda. And and you can see how that could work. It wouldn't be hard. It and how many other for someone no. like him no. to just say, you know, she's actually impossible. And she yeah, has start no a whisper campaign. everything that, you know, she got that Oscar because I did all that, you know. It wouldn't be hard. And and you can see the evidence. I don't know if you saw people on Twitter posting the screenshots of the post from the, the, the woman in the audio tape. You know, you can see on the New York Post website that the articles slamming her that were clearly fed by Harvey. 
you know, he had the tools and the willingness to to do that. I mean, it's pretty clear. It made me kind of in awe of Gwyneth Paltrow, who told the New York Times yesterday about her story, which is, you know, remarkably similar to so many of the other ones. And, you know, she was a, a daughter of a movie star and a director. Like, you would think she would have power and you wouldn't have tried that. Her, her godfather is Spielberg. And then she goes on to work with him and win an Oscar for Shakespeare in Love anyway. Like, she... I mean, like, I think that's, you know, you can say what you will about what you, whether or not she should have spoken out. I don't think that that's something we can judge, but that's that takes a lot of strength to do that and kind of power through and build her career anyway, when it would have, she could have, you know, easily gotten blackballed in the same way. He was selective in terms of, like, power dynamic, you know, obviously someone like Paltrow, who was well-connected. I mean, he still tried stuff with her, and but, but like, there were m- people who were more vulnerable or newer to the industry and had fewer allies and fewer friends helping them along, and, and he seems to have kind of gone the hardest at them in a way. And scared a lot of them out of the industry. And entirely. scared a lot of them. I mean, but then, you know, Asia Argento, I mean, her father is a big film director, like, you know, and he, yeah. he still did, you know, did horrible things to her, well, allegedly, I guess we have to say, but there's a pathology that, like, I think said earlier, like, that a compartmentalization happens where he's like, well, I produce Carol and I do this stuff and, 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 and almost and I'm you, fighting the NRA. Yeah. And I'm helping Hillary beat Trump. Oh my God. I mean, that, sa- that statement yeah. he gave the times, it feels like it happened a hundred years ago, given how much has happened since then. But man, you, you can tell how little he realized how much the hammer was going to come down. Right. Exactly. You know, and, and, and you listen to that audio tape and, and you look, I, I understand that it's triggering for people who have experienced this. And, and I don't think you have to listen to it to understand this story more fully. But if you do listen to it, there is this tone in his voice of it just suggests that there is a there is a sort of psychological war happening between him and 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 and, and not to excuse him or, or 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 try to humanize his behavior at all but like this clearly is a pathological deep seated thing that goes beyond you know an attraction to young actresses this is about power this is about you know this is yeah. a, there's a lot going on here that i think that the industry should be unpacking for a while and really investigating you know because this is Harvey Weinstein is maybe the most glaring example of this right now but like you said mike like there are there are d- no doubt more yeah Oh, yeah. I mean, this is an industry in which so few women hold power and so many women who are incredibly young and valued entirely for their looks are trying to get their stars. The the power imbalances are nuts. And this is a really stark example of what happens in that situation. Or or, or, or is that the reason that women are so underrepresented? I mean, is is the boys club strong for that reason? That's that's what I'm starting to wonder. Well, the patriarchy is very uh, sort of self-sustaining, you know. Yeah. And this is one of the many ways in which they you know, wield power and, and maintain power is by putting women in this particular kind of category of being scared and aggressed upon. And Yeah. You know. I mean, we were, we were talking last night about Amy Pascal, and it's like not going to defend the, the you know, off-color jokes that she made in a private email, but they were off-color jokes in a private email that brought her down as head of, you know, Sony Pictures. And then it's like, it's like this guy's paying off eight different accusers. It seems... Seems like this thing emanates yeah. uh, a lot, and that's why that's why I just feel like you know I was on this show three weeks ago, whatever, saying, "Oh, I saw Harvey at the Tulip Fever," you know, whatever you say, I want to mm-hmm. say about Harvey, he's a gut player. I'm saying all this bullshit, and and in retrospect, it's like wake the fuck up, you know, me and everybody else. Yeah, I went back and searched my like on Twitter, like th- times I've tweeted about him, and it's all oh, this, God. it's all this oh, jokey God. shit about like, oh, he's like you know a slob and and he's mean, and and to think that. I don't know that anyone saw that who had, you know, suffered 
unimaginably under you know because of him it, it's uh yeah i think i think you said mike like it's a lot of a lot of soul searching and yeah. and um and i think men in particular to be honest you know yeah to take a uh, kind of the cynical perspective on all of this, and I think uh, Richard Rushfield, who does the newsletter The Angler, he's contributed to Vanity Fair. The Angler is great if you're not subscribing. Uh, he just pointed out that uh, the fact that these revelations are all coming out on the first Oscar season since the early 90s when Harvey Weinstein would not be a major factor is no coincidence, uh, which I think is really important just for what we talk about on the show about the way the Oscars play into Hollywood and why this is happening now. I mean, it's kind of been evident for a long time that the Weinstein company wasn't as powerful as it used to be. But this year in particular was like a leak for them. Tulip fever was kind of a disaster. I don't know. It, does, it doesn't speak well to Hollywood to me. Yeah. But I mean, let's unpack that a little bit. I think probably in a, in a large way, that's true. But I mean, the heroism of the, of the accusers who've spoken up is, is humongous. And then also, I mean, let's give Ronan Farrow some credit as a, as a, a hero, I think, as well, who, you know, has experienced some version of this in his own life, personal life, obviously is incredibly passionate about it. Spent 10 months, like he didn't know 10 months ago when he embarked on this that, you know, Weinstein Company wasn't going to have any any Oscar movies this year, mm-hmm. although it's true that they have, you know, he's running out of cash and has not really, you know, the pipeline is not that strong. But, you know, by the way, I mean, with all due respect and not to not to assume anything about anybody's motives, but, you know, the head of NBC News who turned this down also happened to be the screenwriter of Jackie and maybe had other awards ambitions, you know, which is why Ronan ends up, NBC News turns it down and Ronan ends up going over to The New Yorker. I think the New Yorker would have published this, whether or not a Harvey Weinstein had well, movies in the Oscar contention. Rem- I would like to think that David Remnick wrote and directed *The Greatest Showman*, the circus <laughs> musical. So we should we should be careful to mention to, that. to get ahead into the season. Yeah, there's absolutely this this disturbing vector. One part of the vector that I f- seems to be getting better, which is like, okay, women are actually coming forward and they're not getting smeared the way that they had been our entire lives and basically through the history of, you know, whatever. But the other vector is the power level of the person being attacked, because let's not forget that the president of the United States is one of these characters, seemingly. I don't like I hate it when everything becomes about Trump, but it does feel like everything is about Trump all the time. Uh, and I think like it's been exactly a year since the Access Hollywood tape came out. And I do think there's this like sense of frustration that like just nothing happened as a result of that. And as far as I can tell, nothing ever will. Uh, and then you get things like this, like the 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 power and the, the forcefulness with which people are willing to come forward and tell their stories. It's like a it's a weird twisted way in which something good came out of that, even though everything just feels so ugly. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's a there's a rev- utterly revolt glee among Trump supporters saying, look, see, you have the same problem uh, among liberals. Um, And that is ludicrous and absurd. But I think on the other hand, like people who are telling themselves, oh, you know, Hillary Clinton has no nothing to do with this. Barack Obama has nothing to do with this. Like, sorry, but this guy was very deep in. Like I said, I mean, Malia interned for the guy like that was a big decision. And so we all, like I said, we just all have a lot of soul searching to do. Let's be better than the other side and not just be like, my team is better than your team. Like, this is a deep human fuck up. I I also don't think, I I mean, at least... You know, I'm sure some did, but like, I, I don't think any liberal was say, has ever said like everyone on our side is perfect. Like, no, like we, we we institutionally know that because of a former president. And you know, I was talking to a friend the other day, and she was like, reading all this Weinstein stuff is making her sick. You know, it's so dismaying and just scary and awful. She's like, but it also made me think that like 
we on the left, we really fucked up with Clinton. Like, like we, yeah. we did not treat that with the how it should have been treated. You yes. know, you know, because we had an investment in, regardless of the motivation on the other side of, of exposing that story, those yeah. stories. You know, so it's all it's. Um, That's my yeah. point. Can yeah. we get past that? Yeah, like yeah. bad vibe and just get to the place where we're like this is horrible we all played a part in propping up a person who was doing horrible things and whatever we knew or didn't know like this should be a time for us to feel sad and search our souls not a time for us to kind of grandstand and and and, you know i i think are we ready to talk about the incredibly uh, less important part of what's going to happen to the Weinstein companies would be Oscar contenders? Because I mean, right now it's looking like, like the current war is not half bad, but I, I think still think is. Tulip Fever will win. <laughs> Best I mean, Mike, you and I did the red carpet at TIFF for the upside, which, you know, we were talking about how people love Brian Cranston. I think we talked about it last week about how it could possibly be a contender. And like now, you know, I don't think Brian Cranston's made a statement yet, but Benedict Cumberbatch did. Like all of them just kind of like really have to pretend these movies don't even exist. You know, you do feel some sympathy i suppose you know for people who 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 did movies um with the Weinstein company that you know that that what were unconnected to this or didn't know or whatever and you know Jessica Chastain was out on Twitter the past couple of days kind of saying like yes i've had movies r- distributed by the Weinstein company but like i made them and then they were bought by him and so it's a really complicated thing this in, you know a single movie involves a ton of people it's not just one you know sort of tyrant personality at the at the top of it but you know there there are some big things coming out uh i mean well current war obviously but um you know next year is is the, the mary magdalene movie with uh, joaquin phoenix and and uh rooney mara dark garth davis who, who made lion uh directed shweta lechufor is in that too and you don't necessarily i mean i don't wish ill on those movies it's just you know uh they, yeah but they are undeniably uh stained with something now and you know well they're going to change the name of the company and take his name out of all the credits but right. i mean you know that's what is that cosmetic really? yeah. um that's when value jet changed his name to what something else you know air tran <laughs> <laughs> no i mean this is going to change the our perspective on an enormous amount of yeah. especially awards yeah stuff of yeah. the past 20 years and what know? it makes me wonder about too is i think we've mentioned it on the podcast before a couple years ago but like there is this other story that's been around for ages. Um, there was a documentary that was made about it, but they had to kind of cut out a huge part of it. And so it about a, a, a sort of gay cabal version of this that's happening with big, big, you know, very powerful people. And, and people have wondered when is this finally going to actually see the light of day. And I feel like, the hope with this story, this Weinstein story, is that it will empower more people, and it it will also not not just people to come forward. Obviously, like that's where it starts, but uh, empower more um, outlets, journalistic uh, institutions to to have you know sort of push through the fear of l- litigation and lawsuits and all that. But you know, I, I feel like there are many more shoes to drop, and I'm just curious how that's going. Yeah, play out. I mean, even in kind of a relatively smaller scale, the guy who was the head of Screen Junkies, which you know, kind of a, a YouTube channel, this uh, woman who would have worked for him was inspired by the Harvey Weinstein revelations to come forward and he got fired. I mean, that that happened really fast because every company that has someone in their ranks like this, like there's no value in defending them anymore. It's like, you know, the, if you, if, you know, the Weinstein company thought they were protecting their reputation by hiding this for years, like I don't think anyone thinks that's going to happen for them anymore. And Katie, what do you think this um, says? I mean, because I feel like you know more people sort of involved in this tangentially, like about the whole Alamo Draft House situation. Oh God. I mean, it's, it's all sort of 
of part of the same thing. Like there's all vastly different people, but it's the whole notion that like things that people would kind of brush off or willingly ignore and, you know, bad behavior is just, there's, there's less, and there's still definitely huge consequences of speaking out. And I think situations vary wildly, but I think people are just more willing to speak out. Like it really started with Bill Cosby a couple of years ago. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's not reflecting well on the industry that we all love and are part of. So now Mike and Richard, you guys are going to talk to Nicole Sperling, who joined Vanity Fair last week as our Hollywood correspondent and has been incredibly busy in the, her start at Vanity Fair reporting all of this. And she'll have a perspective of what's going on in Los Angeles. So, Nicole, here you are in your second week writing for Vanity Fair, and you're already deep in the midst of uh, of investigating Harvey Gate, I guess we could call it. And let's talk about the piece that you published. You interviewed Amy Ziering, and she produced The Hunting Ground, which was Kirby Dick's uh, uh, documentary about sexual assault on, on college campuses. So what did she have to say about working with Harvey on that ironic, in, in retrospect, project? Well, it was released through their subsidiary, Radius, which doesn't exist anymore. It was kind of their little smaller offbeat brand. And she didn't really have much interaction with him at all. I don't think she ever met him. She told me that Kirby met him at an Oscar party, but that really they worked with the people that worked under Harvey. She did say that she was not surprised about the all the accusations because she had heard from some women after the film was released about certain accusations as well. So the Weinstein Company was a New York City company. Uh, you know, he was the, the, it was always based here. But obviously, this is a this is a Hollywood story. So I'm curious, Nicole, like in in talking uh, to people, like what what is the conversation like now? I mean, what is the I mean, the mood is obviously you know one of of a lot of you know it's it's pretty intense. But like, what is it like on the ground right now? Well, people kind of waver between two things. There are a lot of people who did work for him, and whether they're lying to themselves or to us, they're saying they actually had no idea. Like, their jaws are on the floor, and they're shocked. And they say that, yes, he was a bully, but they say he had a bifurcated personality, that he was also could be this whole other man. And not that they're in any way defending anything that has come out, because I think everybody is at a point where they believe all the accusations. It's more that they didn't experience it personally. And I talked to one person who told me that early on in her tenure working for Weinstein, she had a situation where she heard that she knew that he had cast someone that he had slept with. And she went in and tore him a new one. And then she never heard about that again. Like suddenly he got cautious with her. So there was that kind of story you would hear And then I would hear, I would talk to women, it was mostly women who kind of had a PTSD about the whole thing. Like they were very shaken by the articles, especially the New Yorker from Tuesday. And it not only brought up whether or not they had experiences with Harvey personally, it brought up trauma that they had experienced in their life by sexual harassers in their life from being on college campuses to early bosses like this Harvey may be an extreme example, but he clearly is not the only one in this business or in other businesses that act this way towards women. Now, and did, is this a story, I mean, in particular, the, the New York Times articles and, and the New Yorker piece by Ronan Farrow, how aware of these pieces before their publication was the industry from your perspective? I mean, w- was, this, was this something that was whispered about or was it a, a bombshell for, for them as much as it was for most people? I think it was a bombshell for most people because 
while they had heard the rumors, it was business as usual. And I think it wasn't until the story in The Hollywood Reporter came out that suggested that um, that he was lawyering up and he was attacking both The New York Times and The New Yorker, that then it was like, oh, well, it has to be about all these rumors we've been hearing for years. Nicole, yesterday you uh, ended up at Gloria Allred's uh, press conference. Can you talk about what that was like and what she had to say? That was rather surreal. Um, <laughs> to be there. Um, She seemed to be offering Harvey what she said was similar to what she had offered Bill Cosby, which what she, because she was bringing forward a case from a woman back in 2008 that took place at the Sundance Film Festival and therefore was past the statute of limitations in Utah. So she couldn't do anything with this case on its own. So what she was proposing was that Harvey, who may feel like he's not getting um, his due process, enter into some sort of mediation with the women who are accusing him and come to some sort of find some justice for these women and maybe he gets his chance to plead his own case. But the question is, why would he do something like that since he cannot, in that certain instance, cannot be prosecuted under uh, the law? Why would he would come forward? So it was kind of unclear at how she was getting him could possibly get him to do something like that. It also seemed like she was kind of urging, they were definitely urging other women to come forward that maybe they could form some sort of class action against him, if that's a possibility. From an industry standpoint, obviously Weinstein has lost his job and all that that entails. And, and, uh, but what do you think the next concrete thing to happen is? I mean, is there any way of knowing that? Do, is there any sense of what will happen to the films that that you know that the Weinstein company has um, has has anyone even started talking about that, or are people just still kind of sifting through the rubble right now? Well, it is the question of the day. I mean, BAFTA just pulled their his membership or suspended him rather, so there is a chance that the Academy, as far as that goes, could follow suit, and that would be it could be it would be unprecedented for the Academy to do something because they have never done it before. They also don't move very quickly, so for them it would take a long process to get there in terms of what they would do. As for his films, I mean those films, he's not the only one producing them. There are financiers who are on there on top of the Weinstein Company. I imagine those films will come out. It's going to be really difficult to publicize those films because all anyone's going to want to talk about is what kind of bad behavior the talent on those films experience during production. So that will obviously cloud the film's release. And then going forward, you know, I think they're toxic as a company because they enabled him and he wasn't doing this on his own. Who was writing the checks and who was in the know about what was happening and how were they keeping it quiet? So I feel like all the people left at the Weinstein Company are kind of, at least the ones in charge, are toxic and that the rest of Hollywood is not going to want to work with them. Do we know what sort of financial state the Weinstein company was in before this? Because I remember hearing that, you know, they were on the brink of basically insolvency and that Django Unchained is what is what kind of saved the company that that actually became a hit movie and and gave them, you know, new life and, and a few more. But it had been a while since they had another one of those. I mean, do you, do you know what the what this condition of the Weinstein company is separate from this? I mean, I don't think it's very good. We saw the push of tulip fever for, what, a year? And while they like to chalk it up to the problems with that film, 
I think that also had a lot to do with this financial state of that company. I mean, he's kind of always at the brink and then somehow pulls himself back. But this is definitely a company on the wane. It wasn't like it was, you know, killing it either at the box office or on the Oscar stage. I mean, they did have Lion last year that was there. That was a hit. But prior to that, they hadn't had much. And this year, they haven't had much. Do you think that that the fact that it was a company on the wane contributed to the fact that this scandal is breaking now? Well, it's a man past his prime, so his power is not as great, right? So that could have something to do with it. But that didn't seem to um, dissuade him bringing out his lawyers in full force. I mean, you had Ronan Farrow talking about him being threatened with lawsuits personally, they were clearly after the New Yorker and the New York Times. I'm sure they went after the New York Times reporters, too. And I'm sure they went after the women who, were, who spoke up. So, you know, the company was probably in a lot of trouble because it was paying so much money in legal fees. You know? Right, yeah. It is interesting that um, these stories all come out. I mean, it's the same kind of situation that happened with Bill Cosby that happened with the situation at Fox News. It's, it's guys who are in the waning years of their career. They're not at the apex any longer. Yeah. I mean, something that I wonder about with this, you know, you hoped that this ushers in more, you know, more change and, and more sort of exp- exp- exposure of, of this kind of behavior from from other people. But but Weinstein, I think, is such a kind of character and, and, and is so known to be this uh, really scary, aggressive guy and and i i worry that some people might sort of hide behind that in a way and sort of put him as this kind of unique monster um when he's not i mean you know this behavior is not unique to him um do you get any sense nicole that that there is that there is more to come about other people from this or do you think that this will just kind of be penned off and kept as an isolated thing and a confirmation of this thing that we used to we always knew about this one bad guy um or do you think that there actually could be sort of more systemic change that comes from this I mean, that is going to depend on the industry at large because it is easy to write him off as this anomaly because he always was this kind of circus barker who had his personality all to himself. And he cultivated that, and the press, for better or worse, we endorsed that. We called him a bully, and we kind of ran on those stories, but we never you know, knew about the rest or didn't write about the rest. As far as there are other names that are whispered about in the last couple of days. Like, when is that person going to go down? And when is this person going to go down? You know, what may happen is it may be an, an issue of liability and insurance for these companies. So if maybe more women will feel, and it shouldn't be put on the women, it should not, but if they feel more comfortable coming forward and they report to their HR departments, and if their HR departments are actually real departments, not like what they were at Weinstein when they kind of were just a facade, that maybe something will change, but it's going to require, and I, but I do think the industry is nervous now because they've seen what can happen, how big the downfall is, how an entire career can be destroyed. And this is a man who, you know, was one of the most powerful men in Hollywood. I experienced it once. I think maybe I've told this story on, on the show, but I experienced it once. I, he, he, I interviewed him for HuffPost and he thought it was going to be this puff piece for various reasons. And instead, it was a harsher piece than he expected. 
And I saw him at an event a couple, whatever it was, months later and introduced myself. And he goes, you, you caused me a lot of trouble with that story. And I thought, holy uh-huh. shit, here we go. And then he goes, but you're a good journalist. You did a really good job. You know what I mean? And, and you could uh, see yeah. it turn on a dime. I don't know if he caught uh-huh. himself or if that was part of the part of the shtick is like, I'm going to scare you then when you over. But, but right. the, you know, it was actually weirdly endearing to be like, oh, the, the scary, you know, bear is, is can be uh, tame as well. And uh, but anyway, God. Well, if only we had known what was happening behind right. the closed door. Closed and it doors. was probably like, oh, it's kind of a badge of honor. Like I got yelled at by Harvey Weinstein. Like, yes, now, sure, now. yep. You know, <laughs> yeah. There was some, there was a mythology to him that mm-hmm. he cultivated. You know, he talked mm-hmm. about being a bully. He kind of he enjoyed it. He enjoyed that people were afraid of him, and it probably made this all so much easier for him because those women were afraid of him too. Yeah, and I think that that is, you know, that is part of the pathology. It's part of the strategy. It's it's huh? it's kind of the push and the pull and like I'm scary but I'm not and you know, and it helps facilitate this kind of thing and and I guess it just the jig the jig was finally up and it maybe it was always going to be at some point. But um Right. Yeah. So do you think that that, that we're going to have a lot more revelations about this particular story about about Weinstein's behavior in, in, in gen, uh, or or do you think that the 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 bulk of it has already come come out? Well, I think the next shoe to drop is all the enablers around him that kind of helps this happen. And that goes from, like, the people at the company to the agents who sent the young women over to his hotel room. You know, like, there are a lot of people who um, are complicit in this, and it. Um, I think there's probably a lot of panic all over the place right now. Yeah. Well, I hate, I don't want to say we look forward to, but I will, I will eagerly read your, your, your coverage of this and, um, and, and welcome to VF, Nicole, by the way, that's, it's, it's, it's you know, we're, we're really happy to have you and uh, hopefully you, you, you won't be a stranger to this podcast. Well, no, I hope not to be. And uh, we can only go up from here, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, Nicole. Nicole. Thank you. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thanks, as always, for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, where you can rate us and review us and subscribe and tell other people about it. Uh, you can find us all at VanityFair.com, where Nicole Sperling is now joining us as a Hollywood correspondent. Uh, we're all on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich. Richard? I'm at Rylaws. And uh, Mike is at Mike underscore Hogan. And Joanna will be back with us soon. She is at Joe with us. Nicole Sperling is on Twitter as well at Nick Sperling, N-I-C Sperling. Yes, you can find so many of us now. This episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell, and thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for the best possible outcome from all of this goes to Nicole Sperling. You can only go up from here, right? <laughs>